So we're actually going to be in 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. If you're in the House Bibles, this is on page 641 towards the bottom, but it'll also come up on the screen. So this is 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word. Scripture says this, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. If you'd pray with me. Heavenly Father, I just want to come to you again and thank you for Darren, for his willingness to serve us, for his willingness to serve me, um, for his willingness to basically just give his life to see your gospel go forward. Lord, I ask that you'd be with him now as he comes to preach, that you would empower him through your Holy Spirit, that you would give him words that he doesn't have, that he never even thought about writing down, um, that you would give him a heart of worship even as he preaches. Lord, I ask that you would also send your Holy Spirit to us, that you would open our hearts to receive your word, um, that it would bat away the thoughts that would drive us away from you, um, but would in basically endear us to you um, as, we, as we hear your word preached. Uh, Lord, in all these things, we just ask that you would be worshipped and that you would be honored and you would be glorified. I pray this in Jesus' name. Can you guys hear me? Acapella? Is it on? Yep, it's on. Okay. Um, good morning. Good morning. Um, it really is a privilege and an honor to be here. Okay, now I'm working. Um, like Tony said, he, he, you know, he messaged me. He said, hey, look, I'm going to be out of town and... Um, would you be willing to preach? And so I met with Ryan Lake back there, the, the guy in the, I guess that's teal, a teal hat. And we met at Who Hot. We ate a whole bunch of food, and we just talked. We talked a lot about you guys. Uh, I was encouraged by everything that was going on here. And, and I talked to Kevin, and he said, hey, look, feel free to go ahead and go down there and preach. Um, and so I'm excited, really, really excited to be here, and a little nervous, but that's to be expected. Um, so Tony had already said we're, we are in Second Thessalonians. Um, the, the assignment that I have uh, is to preach through chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. So go ahead and open up your Bibles. And as, you, as we find our spot here, you'll notice that the title, well, maybe not the title, but the subheading, the subheading of this is called uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, and, and those subheadings, if you don't know this, they were actually added a few hundred years ago. Um, they weren't originally there, but they were added to sort of help us read through the scriptures together. Um, but of course, it aptly captures what the passage is about. And it's also kind of timely for this season. Um, now, if you're not new to Chorus, normally what we do, uh, we, we go through the Bible book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And that helps us get the main point of the passage and also the main point of the book. And so 
that helps us get context. And then the idea is that you derive the main point of the sermon from the main point of the text. All that to say is that the fact that I'm talking about Thanksgiving is kind of ironic. Um, you know, Thanksgiving being a few weeks out. Um, really, it's an act of God's providence, and I'm, I'm thankful to do that. I don't know if any of you guys uh, have ever noticed this, but around November, you kind of have two groups of people. You have the people who are normal, who celebrate all the holidays, like uh, Thanksgiving um, and Halloween. Then you have the other people who decide to just skip over all of that and go straight to Christmas. I know somebody like that. She has blonde tips. I won't mention her name. Uh, she's sitting in the congregation in the back row. Uh, I, I came home the other day. Um, and, you know, I'm trying to put in the keys in the door and, and get inside. And my head hits this object on the door. And it's this Christmas wreath. I'm like, it is November. We have a month and a half left until Christmas. Um, I, get, I go inside. Becca's playing Christmas music. I see like a Christmas tree box. And I'm like, okay, just slow down for a minute, okay? Let's not skip Thanksgiving. Um, you know, I'm riding through, through downtown Columbia. And, you know, I see the, the flags. They're not all the way up. And so I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe there's some sort of, like, tragedy that's happened. Um, but I keep looking, and I notice, no, there's just a guy putting up Christmas lights, November 9th, putting up Christmas lights, like, we still have a month and a half left. Um, and so I don't really understand why people, <laughs> why people do this. And, and maybe, you know, for, for many people, the, the, the sad truth is that Thanksgiving is really not that special for them. Um, people tend to look forward to the day after Thanksgiving more so than the day of Thanksgiving, which, if you don't know, is Black Friday. Um, and I think part of it, though, is that we're more concerned with getting instead of giving. We're more concerned with getting instead of giving thanks. But not for Paul. Not for Paul here as we look at our text. He saw something special in this Thessalonian church. It was something that only God could bring about. And the first thing that he does is in this letter right here, he, he sort of bursts into thanksgiving for this church. He sees something special. And he, begin, he begins to brag. He really he's bragging. The word there is boasting. He's boasting on this church. He's boasting in this church. And I think if we don't slow down, we can tend to be like most people and really skip right over thanksgiving. But this passage shows us something profound about Paul and about us, really. Well, what do I mean? Okay, think about this with me real quick. True or false, we get really excited about passages like this, right? We're just really eager to read passages about, you know, in the opening there. We kind of treat it like the genealogies in the Old Testament. You know, we sort of just like read over it. It's like, okay, Adam beget Enoch, Enoch. Uh, skip a few verses. Okay, here we go. Now we're in the meat, right? We tend to just skip over these passages. And I think when we do that, we're missing out on the huge pastoral heart that Paul has for his people here. And quite frankly, when we skip over these verses, really, we're showing our pride, right? Because we think that we can actually do this. We think we actually have this figured out. And even I fall guilty to this sin, right? 
Um, I remember when Tony, you know, sent me the message like, hey, man, look, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. I read it, and I'm like, man, you, you couldn't give me the, the passage on judgment. Like, I missed it by three verses, man, three verses. And then I talked to Ryan. He's like, well, we thought about giving you a psalm. And I'm like, why didn't you give me the psalm? Um, but here we are. And so let's read over this passage one more time here. I think I lost my spot here. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all of your persecutions and the afflictions that you are suffering. So Paul's main point here is that he gave thanks and boasted because the Thessalonians' faith and love were growing in spite of their affliction. You guys have been going through uh, Thessalonians quite a bit, so you know the context, so I won't spend too much time here. But really the background to this, if you've never really read this letter, is, is found in Acts 17. Paul, he's preaching the gospel in Thessalonica, and these people come to faith. And there's this man named Jason, and the authorities take him up out of his house, drag him into the city, and accuse him of worshiping this other king, Jesus, rather than the king, Caesar. And they take money from him in hopes that he'll stop believing, that he'll, he'll turn away from the faith and sort of die, dumb it down a little bit. And then Paul, he writes First Thessalonians, which you guys just covered a few weeks ago. And then we find ourselves in 2 Thessalonians. He, here he's writing to them again, seeking to encourage them because they still have some issues from the outside, persecution, and then from the inside, their theology, their eschatology, which means the, the sort of theology and understanding of the end, end times when Jesus will come back. It's, it's, it's wrong. It needs correcting. And so my main point today you get one thing from all of this, is that as God's people, we are called to give thanks for the gospel fruit in believers' lives. As God's people, we are called to give thanks for the gospel fruit in believers' lives. And so I'll, I'll make three points this morning. One, we'll see that our thanks is to be continual and genuine. Our thanks is to be continual and genuine. Secondly, our thanks is to be rooted in gospel fruit. And then thirdly, our thanks is to lead to a boasting in the saints. A boasting in the saints. So, verse 3 here. Our thanks is to be continual and genuine. What do we see exactly in verse 3? Look at it with me for a moment. As Christians, we're to give thanks to who? Well, to God, right? We're to do this how often? Well, continually. And we are to give thanks for whom? Well, for the saints. And so the point really may seem pretty clear, right? Um, but this verse has a certain sharpness to it. You see, Paul's thanksgiving has a context here. Commentators have studied this greeting because the way that, that Paul opens this letter with the words always and odd, they're, they're, they're strange. They're sort of different for Paul. And so scholars have noted that, well, we think it's because there were people 
in the Thessalonian church, in the Thessalonian environment, really, who were saying, Paul, you're, you're flattering these Thessalonians. You're not, you didn't actually mean it when you said that you were thankful for them. And so Paul has to correct this. And so he's stressing the fact that, hey, look, this was genuine. I actually meant it what I said back in 1 Thessalonians when I wrote that a year ago. And he proves what he meant by saying he gives thanks for them always, consistently. He's not advocating for some vague thanksgiving here. See, Paul's thanks contain two things that our thanks generally, generally lacks. Genuine, <laughs> consistency and genuineness. Consistency and genuineness. It is easy for us to miss the weight of this verse and only think that this is basically a comment on how Paul was feeling, right? We can look at this and say, oh, well, well that was nice. Paul was, he was thankful for the Thessalonians. That, that's a helpful little historical note to, to make. But we, too, are always to give thanks. And here's how I can prove this. Look, look with me at a few portions of Scripture. They should be up here on the back here. Firstly, Ephesians 5.17. Ephesians 5.17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 3.17, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then 1 Thessalonians 5.18, which you guys saw you know, a few weeks ago. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You know, Christians are always saying, well, I don't know what the will of the Lord is. Um, here it is, and it, I'm sorry, it's not as spiritual as you thought it was. If you want to know the will of the Lord, here's a good place to start. And so our thanks is to be continual, not just Paul's. This is a command from God. This is not a mere suggestion. He's not just saying, well, if you find something to be thankful about, just thank me for it. He's commanding us to be thankful. And it is his will that we would give thanks to him always. And he is even more worthy of thanksgiving and praise than when he does amazing works in the lives of other Christians, particularly when they are in trials and sufferings. And so when you see a church that is pushing through trials, give thanks. When you see a brother or sister who is struggling but pushing through, give thanks for them. Give thanks for that because you're witnessing a miracle. This is not just some sort of random thing happening. God is working in them. Because you and I know this simple yet, I think, profound truth about life, right? That suffering has the potential to either produce bitter people or a persevering people. The more intense the suffering, the more likely the person is, without the power of the gospel, to become bitter and thankless. But if you have the power of the gospel, the more intense the suffering, the more likely, at the end of the day, you will be thankful and you will persevere. 
We are to give thanks always. Now, at this point, you may be saying, well, how in the world does somebody give thanks to God always? Do you just walk around and just say, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord? Um, I've met people like that, and it is kind of strange. Um, but I think when we ask that question, we're, we're, we're showing that we don't really understand what genuine thanksgiving is, right? Um, I work with kids. Some of you guys know this. Uh, I work with kids mostly kindergarten through third grade, and... Um, you know, we do this activity called a brain break, which is where we get all the kids to gather around on the carpet. They sit down, and we ask them a question. And somebody had the profound and, you know, this great idea to ask them what they think it means to be thankful. Um, and then I had the really great idea to try to answer that and orchestrate the whole thing, stand up in front of the class. And it was, I mean, it was just a mess. We had kids running around going crazy, you know, we... I'm over here on my phone trying to find a good definition in front of the class, like, man, what, is, what does this mean? And then you get, you know, you got that one kid who's like, Mr. Darren, I know what, thanks, what it means to be thankful. And I'm like, okay, what, what does it mean? And then she starts listing off the rules, like, you know, walk, don't talk loud. I'm like, where were you? Are you even here in the classroom? And then you got that one kid who's just sitting there, like, picking his nose. And then you get one kid who's giving this profound definition, like he reads the Oxford Dictionary for, for just fun. I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. We went to public school. I don't know about you guys, but you, man, but, like, chill for a minute, right? And as I began to press them on this definition, um, there was just this, this one re- reoccurring theme that came up, which was um, kindness. And, and I was like, okay, well, that's not quite really it. But, but then they, I kept pressing them, and then joy kept coming up. Joy kept coming up. And at the moment, I didn't really understand it, so I kind of just let it pass. And then as I was preparing for the sermon this week, I began to really look through the scriptures and sort of try to, you know, draw in some resources and figure this out. And I realized that the kids hit the nail on the head. They, they got something that we so often overlook, which is this. Genuine thanksgiving requires joy. Genuine thanksgiving requires joy. It is not just the mere sort of movement of the lips. Hear John Piper on this. Now and then, it needs to be said that not all thanksgiving is thanksfeeling. We can make ourselves or our children say thank you, whether we feel it or not. But it's not a good habit, especially in relation to God. Jesus warns against vain worship. He then quotes Matthew 15. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. Thanksgiving without thanksfeeling is empty. It does not count with God. Genuine thankfulness is an act of the heart's affections, not an act of the lips' muscles. It is a willed, it is willed, but awakened. It is not a decision of the will, but it's a reflex of the heart. It happens to us we become aware of goodwill towards us, and we either feel gratitude or we don't. Here's my point. Giving continual thanks is not a matter of going around and saying thank you all the time. It's a matter of living a life full of joy in God for what he's done for you. And if you're thankful the way God desires, then you will be both thankful continually and genuinely. 
You see, consistency and genuineness, they're inseparable to a true God-honoring thanksgiving. If you aren't regularly giving thanks to God for his people, then you may not genuinely be thankful. And if you are genuinely thankful, then you will give thanks regularly and continually, especially for the saints. This is one reason at CARS we emphasize membership. Because you need to actually know the people you're thanking God for, right? And so our thanks must be continual and genuine. And, and, you know, there's never been a person to exist who was just thankful for the sake of being thankful, right? There's always a reason behind it. And as we sort of transition, I want us to see that. Today, God wants us to know that one of the reasons we should be thankful is for the fruit we see in the saints. Look at verses 3 through 4 again. Our thanks is to be rooted in gospel fruit. What do I mean by gospel fruit? What I simply mean is this, biblical growth and maturity as a Christian. That is gospel fruit. For the Thessalonians, it was their faith. You know, Paul was looking around and he was, he was impressed. He was impressed at the fact that they were growing in trust for the Lord. And then they were also growing in love for one another. And he was blown away. He was, he was blown away. He had his eyes peeled for any sign of growth that might be taking place. He was thankful not because these Thessalonians were some sort of super saints, um, some super Christians, or because they had their stuff all together. He was thankful because they continued to grow. He was thankful for the fruit he did see. But so often, we don't see gospel fruit because we're looking for the wrong things. We're not discerning, right? As I thought about this, I think there's really three, three reasons why we fail to give thanks as we ought. One is skepticism, right? Is your heart response to growth skepticism? You know, this is when you're scrolling through Facebook and you see another church and they're like, hey, we just had 15 baptisms. We had people confess Christ. And your heart automatically says, not, well, praise God. It says, well, wh where have they compromised on the gospel? Have they, have they cut something out? You see, I'm not saying we shouldn't be discerning. I'm just saying we shouldn't be skeptics. We shouldn't be skeptics of God's grace. And this can even happen within your own congregation. You might say, well, yeah, I'd be more thankful, but, but Darren, you don't understand. Our church has issues. And I say, no, 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 you don't understand. Paul's church had issues. The Thessalonians had issues. Um, and don't let me get started about the Corinthians because they had serious issues. Um, there is no perfect church, right? You only have a perfect Savior, see, in Paul's church, there was people who thought Jesus had already come back. And it was so strange that people actually decided to quit their job. They stopped working. They were like, well, Jesus is back. I don't have to work anymore. Um, he's already returned. He's taken, he's taken some of us. Obviously, we're left behind. Their, their eschatology was messed up. Their eschatology was messed up. So, 
I do also want to take a moment to speak to the leaders and the interns here and, and people who feel called to pastoral ministry because if you want a way to crush your congregation, just forget to tell them thank you from time to time. Forget to tell them that you actually appreciate their, their labor. Just be skeptical all the time. Secondly, one, a second reason we fail to give thanks as we ought is because we have a shallow view of what fruit actually means, and therefore we aren't thankful for our brothers and sisters. You know, we look for numbers, we look for new programs launched, and so our thankfulness is conditioned upon the wrong things. Galatians 5 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against, against such things there is no law. You see, God looks at the Thessalonians growing in faith and love, and we look at our other churches and see if they're growing in programs and finances. Or maybe thirdly, your heart is just cold and hard. Maybe you sit here and you don't even know what in the world I'm talking about. Maybe you've never even experienced anything like this because you've never truly believed in the gospel. Maybe you're here and you can list off a few things you're thankful for. You're not really thankful for God. Maybe you believe in God, but maybe you don't believe God and his promises. And so you're not thankful. And at the root of a thanklessness is a gross discontentment in who God is. You know, there's no such thing as a thankful, discontent person. It's kind of like an honest politician. Like, it's an oxymoron. Um, unless you're a politician, because we're in Jeff City, you're fine. Um, <laughs> and, and really, the, the best example of this um, is in Numbers and in Exodus. What do I mean? Well, well, God, he sends Moses to rescue the, the Hebrew people out of slavery, 400 years of slavery. He sends signs. He sends wonders. He, he rescues them out. He destroys the Egyptians as they cross the Red Sea. He brings the water down on them, and they're free. They're, they're really, really free. And so they're wandering through the wilderness, waiting for God to take them to the promised land. And, you know, they're, they're, they're sitting around. You know, you got one man coming out of his tent, and, and they begin to sort of grumble, right? I, I can just imagine it right now. Guy comes along with the sun. He steps out of his tent. He's looking around, you see, he sees his friend, and he's like, hey, man, how are you doing? I'm good, you know, I'm good. Yeah, you're okay? Yeah, you know, I'm just kind of tired. Yeah, what, what's going on, man, you know? It's just manna again. Yeah, man, I, it's been a few weeks, huh? Yeah, my, my, my kid's complaining, my wife's kind of tired of it. You too? Yeah. You know, to be honest, I kind of, I kind of, you know, Egypt was nice. Like, we had meat. We had sort of stability. We didn't really have to worry about all this manna and struggling to find water. Yeah, you know, man, I kind of miss that. And then you can imagine Moses coming along, right? Old man, back hunched over hard of hearing, getting close. You can imagine his response, right? 400 years of slavery, and now you're finally free. 
God literally performs this miracle raining down sort of this bread-like substance from the sky, free of charge, free of labor, and they're grumbling. They're complaining. And this is not just Israel's problem. This is your problem if you are not in Christ. And it is even our problem today when we are in Christ, we still revert to this. One of the most controversial chapters in the Bible, Romans 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. And here's the point. Or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. You see, this is our problem, and there is no way out. There is no way out, on our own anyway. And so we have to find a way to cultivate genuine, biblical thankfulness. We must. And let me just say this, the way that you do this is not the way that the world says, right? If you ask any... (laughs) um, your average American, your average evangelical even what they're thankful for, the first thing they start listing off is is a a list of stuff, right? Well, I'm thankful for my car, my house, my clothes, my money, my finances. Um, If you're a good millennial and college student, I'm thankful for Wi-Fi on campus. I'm thankful for my iPhone. Man, the iPhone 10 is is dope. Um, Now, pause. Are those things bad things to be thankful for or good things? They're, They're good, right? But here's the problem. You start pressing people like, yeah, what else are you thankful for? Oh, yeah, the gospel. I'm thankful for that too. And it's a tack on. You know, it's just a little thing you add on to the end. It's not really the main meat. It's not really the substance. And that's a tragedy. That's a tragedy. We cannot cultivate genuine biblical thankfulness by reflecting on a list of material things. We can't. It's not genuine because it's not ultimately about God. And it's definitely not continuous because your thanksgiving stops when you run out of material things. I don't know if you guys ever thought about this, but that thing that you love so much, that thing that you like so much, that toy, that trinket, will be gone. It will end up rusty. It will break. And it will probably end up in the hands of somebody who doesn't care about you when you're dead. So, when we try to cultivate Thanksgiving by reflecting on the material we have, there are issues. One, it communicates to people who have less than what you have, they have less reason to be thankful to God. Two, it makes God out to be the sort of divine waiter who just brings you whatever you want. And three, quite frankly, it promotes idolatry. We end up worshiping what God has given instead of worshiping him himself. And so my main point so far has been that our thanks for one another is to be rooted 
and the fruit we see in other believers' lives, right? But the problem that we have is that we either overlook that or our hearts are sort of cold and turned off to it because we're in sin. So if somebody were to come up to me and ask at this point, okay, so how do I genuinely give thanks for the fruit I see in other Christians' lives? What, what's the sort of key? How can I do what Paul is asking me to do here? And the secret to genuine and continual thanksgiving for the fruit and lives of other believers, catch this please, is found in receiving God's greatest gift, Jesus Christ himself, as we see him in the gospel. This is really the ultimate source of our thanksgiving, friends. The reason we call the gospel good news is because it is the announcement that Jesus Christ gave us the one gift that we never wanted yet so desperately needed. He gave us himself. Our most fundamental problem is that we are sinners. We are not sick. We are not lame. We are sinners. And we are in rebellion against God who is holy. We are enemies. And the last time I checked, I've never seen an enemy thank the other enemy when they're at war with them. But Jesus Christ willingly took our sin, our discontentment, and our rebellion on the cross. And he died so that we would receive the gift of eternal life and be reconciled. We are no longer enemies if you are in Christ. God is not angry with you if you are in Christ. Do you believe that? The most thankful man to ever live died for the most unthankful and ungrateful and discontent people. And then he rose again, proving to everybody in this great act of divine approval from God the Father. And, and Jesus is saying, you're welcome. You're welcome to all of us who might receive this gift. And so our sin says in response to this, well, I've lived a good life. I've tried my best. Can I bypass this? Is there another means? Maybe, maybe I can do enough. Sin tells you that you deserve what only God can give, which is eternal life. So don't be fooled, guys, because there is no trying your best to live a good life. This is not the gospel. Do not misunderstand what I'm saying here. There is no good life that you can live. Because there is no one who is good. All there are are less sinful people and more sinful people. And the sad part is most of us spend most of our life just comparing our sin to others when apart from Christ we're all equally damned. Well, all equally condemned apart from Christ. But here's what we have in the gospel. We have a gift that's free. You don't have to pay. There's no socioeconomic class that you need to fit into. You have everlasting life. You have a gift from God the Father that lasts forever. And then you have an unconditional gift. Right? I mean, I think about this with, with Becca. I mean, you know, you give your wife a gift and give her something. And it's like, man, I love you so much. I love you too, honey. Why do you love me? Because you're beautiful. Why else do you love me? Because you're cute. Why else do you love me? 
because you're, you're nice to me and you can cook well. Why else do you love me? Because you dress nice. And you just keep on listing off all these things. And, you know, you get to eventually get to this point where like, okay, um, I really hope she stops asking because I'm sort of failing to figure out good answers. But God's the only one who can say, I love you just because I love you. Did you know that? There is nothing about us that God says, oh, well, you're a pretty nice person, therefore I love you. No, no, no. It's I love you, therefore be lovely. I love you, therefore be thankful. And you see that in the cross. You see that. That is gospel. That's good news. And so the greater the value and worth of a gift, the greater the recipient's thankfulness in that gift. And the most thankful people are those who have been giving something that they could by no means ever do or get for themselves. So why would you reject this? Why would you reject this gift that leads to unending joy, unending contentment and thankfulness? If you are a Christian today, sitting here today, I pray that you would ask God to rekindle in you a sense of this thankfulness, that you would sort of run back to the cross where your main source of thankfulness is found. And if you are not a Christian here today, my prayer is simply this, that you would receive this gift as a means of thankfulness. As a means of thankfulness. And so this thankfulness for God and his provision will lead you to a greater thankfulness for God's work in the lives of others, in the lives of others. The greater your thankfulness for God and who he is and what he's done, the greater your thankfulness for the fruit you see in the lives of other believers. We'll be like Paul here. We'll be able to see the reasons and cause for thankfulness in the lives of other believers. You see, because Paul received this gift, because Paul received Jesus, his life has changed. He went from being a persecutor of God's church to a person who finds so many reasons to be thankful for God's church. And here we are in 2 Thessalonians, and he's thanking them for, for their faith and the love. The very thing that he tried to squish, right? The very thing that he wanted to die out. And he began to boast in the saints. You see, this is my, my last point as we get ready to close here. He began to boast in the saints. Focus with me on verse 4 here. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith and all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you're enduring. Our thanks leads to boasting in the saints. See, because Paul was genuinely and consistently thankful to God, he couldn't help but boast about the ways he saw the Thessalonians growing. He just couldn't help it. He was going all around the, 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 the area that he was in, just telling people all about the Thessalonians. Like, look at these guys. They're amazing. They've suffered so much. People were sort of surrounding them, looking for every way to crush them, and yet here they are today, persevering. And so I, I want to talk personally to, to you guys, Jeff City, because I really am thankful for you guys. I'm thankful for your persevering. Um, you know, like I said at the beginning, I met with Ryan, and we sat at Hoo and I ate way too much food, um, but we had a really long conversation, and we just talked about, like, what what sort of, where you guys are as a church, as, as this sort of young um, church plant. And 
I was just encouraged because Ryan was telling me, hey, look, you know, we've been through some things. We've been through changes in, in leadership and, and, and eldership. But, hey, look, you know, people are coming. Some people are going, but some people are coming, and they're getting plugged into MC. They're doing fight clubs. They're discipling one another. Um, you guys are growing in love and faith with one another, and, and it's encouraging to me to see that. It really is, in spite of all the trials and things that you've, you've gone through. And, you know, like most days, I come home, and Becca asks, well, hey, how, how was the day? How did your meeting with Ryan go or meeting with whoever? And, and I began to talk about what Ryan and I talked about. And the next thing I knew, I was really just boasting in you guys because I was saying, hey, look, Becca, they're doing well in Jeff. Like, they've been through a lot, but look, they, they're pushing through. They are persevering. And I was encouraged, and Becca was encouraged by that as I sort of boasted in you guys. And, and I just want to say, I, I know having changes in leadership and having people in and out and wrestling with this various issues in ministry, it's hard. But I'm encouraged by you guys. And I don't want you guys to ever be fooled by just the way the world thinks about growth, and, and which is just programs, finances. Don't, don't go down that path. I want you guys to root yourself in true gospel fruit. So as we close, as you go, brothers and sisters, give thanks for the fruit that you see in other believers' lives. Give genuine thanks, not just lip service, but give genuine thanks to God for all the growth you see in another Christian's life. Don't be blind to it, right? You're witnessing a miracle. And if you find yourself waning in your thanksgiving, run to the cross where we have ultimate reason for thanks. And when you do so, it will not be long before you find yourself boasting in all that God is doing in your brother's and sister's life. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that we have the ultimate source of thanksgiving, which is